Food systems has become a very popular term in the fields of agriculture, nutrition, and health. But what does it mean to have a food systems perspective? How do food systems address the triple burden of malnutrition? And what can countries learn from one another to strengthen their own food systems? Dr. Ruud Rubin of Wageningen University in the Netherlands and Dr. Namukolo Kovic of the International Food Policy Research Institute are both involved with the CGIAR Research Program on Agriculture for Nutrition and Health's flagship research program on food systems for healthier diets. In this two-part podcast, hear a recent conversation they had on what it means to take a global perspective on food systems and how this approach is changing the way we look at hunger and malnutrition. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Kovic and Dr. Rubin. Could you explain what we mean when we talk about the triple burden of malnutrition? The triple burden really refers to the fact that there are different ways in which malnutrition is currently manifesting. The first is undernutrition that is usually characterized by children under five years old being shorter than they are supposed to be for their age, as well as being um, underweight, uh, essentially weighing too little for their age. So that's one way in which malnutrition is manifesting, and, and this is observed mostly in children. The second way is through a lot of micronutrients that we need, such as iron and zinc and iodine being deficient, and and children as well as adults tend to manifest with uh, these micronutrient deficiencies. And then the third uh, burden is through people being overweight or obese and then succumbing to other health problems that are related to that, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, and sometimes even some form of cancers that are also related to nutrition. So because of these three ways of manifestation of malnutrition, we then tend to talk about a triple burden. What I would like to add to that is that, and I'm not a specialist in nutrition, but I'm always struck by, by two uh, phenomena, how those through three uh, manifestations of malnutrition, how they are linked, uh, and particularly the fact that people, that young people that might have suffered from underweight or from stunting or wasting, as Namakulu already explained, uh, that they might be, once they are able to survive, be very uh, vulnerable for uh, getting subject to overweight or even to obesity. So uh, uh, those two aspects are not uh, independent from each other. Over the life cycle of a person, they are linked to each other. Uh, and the second thing that, that for me always was uh, was very impressive when I started looking at the nutrition part is that, that a, a large part of the undernutrition uh, uh, becomes an irreversible aspect of the human life. Yeah? So uh, uh, if, there is, uh, if there are failures in the way in which young people shape their bodies and their intestinal systems and even their brains, there, there is no way of getting that corrected later on, as in many other aspects of, of economic life you can compensate. That is not possible in uh, uh, those two phenomena of, uh, of malnutrition, which make it more than just a burden. It is something, a lifetime uh, part of, of your, uh, uh, your, the, your human evolution. Yeah, I totally agree, uh, Ward. I think even more worrying is the fact that 
often when we are talking about stunting and the children being short for their um, for their age, we tend to worry about the height. And and I think the height, as you have indicated, is actually the least of our problems. Mm-hmm. It's all the other underlying things like the brain development that is limited that have much longer term consequences and that are likely to also even carry through to the next generation because of the the limitations then in, in educational outcomes that they bring about. Yeah, and that is also the reason I think why we started not to think about nutrition or malnutrition, but particularly about, about food systems as an, as an procedure, as an approach to address those uh, uh, triple burden aspects. Uh, because we, we tend to look at phenomena. Usually we are too late with our intervention. I, I'm, I'm really fully convinced that the major interventions in terms of policy should take place very early in the life cycle. The first thousand days is, is something where really things should happen. And it is just too late if you start at the very end of a, of a food value chain uh, to improve uh, a diet. You have to be very early. Uh, you have to look not only at quantities, but particularly at qualities of food and how to maintain the nutritional value uh, towards the consumer uh, and and be extremely creative in the sense that an intervention in food systems means that you start with changing consumer op- opportunities and consumer behavior and you organize the, the system, including the way in which food is produced and transported and processed towards uh, uh, areas where people live, that you have to organize it in such a way that uh, it, 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 it keeps a, a, a healthy component of the food readily available for consumers that are the most vulnerable in their life cycle. Uh, I think, Rod, you've touched on something that I think is actually very important, and, and the idea of having a food systems approach um, is really critical because so far a lot of the efforts in development have really just focused on increasing productivity of very limited uh, crops that are not always nutrient-dense to start with. Um, so that getting to a more quality diet becomes even more difficult. But also a lot of the food processing activities have also tended to focus on reducing waste Mm -hmm. uh, and spoilage without necessarily taking into account the quality of the the final product that is actually produced. So there's really need for some serious creativity to come on board to ensure that we start producing products that are actually addressing the nutrient needs of uh, people. Yeah, and in terms of of organization, food systems analysis and food systems policies means that you do not always intervene uh, at the moment where and at the point where the problem becomes apparent, but you try to start earlier. And and food waste is is a good example, I think. Most of the problems in food waste are apparent in terms of quality losses at the end of the supply chain, close to the consumer, at the market perhaps. But the right intervention starts very early in the supply chain, already at the producer's level, and for instance, in, in improved packaging and improved uh, transport. Well, you make the cost in the beginning of the value chain, the benefits are at the very end. So you need 
collaboration between people that are engaged in food systems, both upwards and downstreams, uh, in order to get such uh, changes uh, implemented. And I think that is limiting much of our agricultural and food policy making. We, we, we tend to focus at the places where problems are, but we have to resolve them not in those places, but much earlier and much more precise with interventions that involve multiple stakeholders. If you could each make a recommendation on where to start with the food systems approach to create healthier diets and avoid parts of the triple burden of malnutrition, what would those initial recommendations be? What are the first steps? For me, I think the first step is to just map uh, what our food systems now actually look like because there's likely uh, differences in, 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 in different areas. Um, while the foods might be the same, the drivers of the changes that are taking place might need to be uh, looked at from a contextual uh, standpoint. So for us to know really where we might be able to do things a little bit differently, we need to know what the issues are in the various, under different contexts. So that's a starting place. The other starting place is look at the policy environment to make sure that the policy instruments that are now being put in place start using a food systems lens so that you don't end up with a situation where the policies that are now being developed come with the same limitations of the ones that exist. So that would be another place which is an entry point. And then after that to start looking at what are types, what types of innovations might actually be useful to move us in a more positive direction. Although I, I would agree, uh, Ms. Namukolu, that it is important to understand the, the structure of the food system and the value chain. I, I am inclined to say that many of the real change starts with experiments. The proof of the pudding is in the eating, and that's a saying that's really appropriate if we talk about changes of food systems. So small changes, small ways in which foods might become more accessible, for instance, by uh, changing packaging size, by changing also the, the, the way in which food is, is, uh, is promoted, by providing information on foods, perhaps by preparing foods, let's say, uh, for, uh, for home delivery. Those changes in, in a very practical sense and perhaps at a very local level, they provide challenging examples for, for also for the business sector to see whether it is for them affordable to do and whether they are able to to mobilize uh, large groups of consumers for those products. So I'm, I'm very much in favor of a kind of experimental approach where we introduce, let's say, small and sometimes larger modifications in food systems and food supply chains, uh, hoping that that will provide, let's say, the kind of uh, of multiplier opportunity for uh, for other businesses to step in. Uh, because that is the only way, I think, in which uh, real changes will take place. Yes, you know, Ruud, in, in, in South Africa, South Africa is an interesting case study in that it has large um, 
food companies, yep. um, but also large contingencies of uh, poverty within the population setup. So one of the things that you observe in the South African food markets is the fact that the food industry has actually adapted and they provide very small packaging for some of the poor um, socioeconomic settings. And because South Africa tends to concentrate people mm -hmm. by socioeconomic status, it's easy to organize their distribution uh, processes that way. The, the, the drawback that I see there is although they have adapted to providing uh, smaller packages that poor people can afford, the quality of those products still remain with the same problems that they had before. So if they are laden with salt, they are laden with salt. If they are laden with sugar, they are still laden with sugar, but more affordable packaging sizes. So that doesn't really help. Um, so you would want to see, while that is a positive change in making packages more affordable, there's this element of the quality that has not uh, that has not necessarily come along with. So those are issues where I think um, some attention would still be required, yeah, given I, the current circumstances. No, that is uh, I, I fully agree on the fact that let's say you need simultaneous changes in quantities and qualities and delivery modes, etc. But uh, if we uh, if we want to have uh, the buy-in of uh, of private sector, they uh, and in this case, for instance, the, the typical example is the is the soup uh, packages, the soup sachets in many countries of uh, sub-Saharan Africa and even Asia. Uh, they the quality uh, in terms of uh, salt content is. Uh, sometimes far too high, uh, but it is uh, 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 technically speaking uh, possible to reduce the salt content by uh, uh, offering them an alternative that maintains a little bit the flavor, but is less uh, damaging for health. And I think we should provide them, in terms of, of, of real-time experiments, the opportunities to, sh to, to show that there, there is a business case also for them in making those adjustments and, and uh, perhaps we should accompany those changes in uh, supply chains and product uh, compositions because just saying that they have to do it is not sufficient. You should be a partner in, in, in the innovation process and innovation in, in food quality just goes too too slow because uh, everybody considers it too risky. And as a food systems research program, I think you can reduce a little bit the risky component of those innovations by uh, linking uh, uh, the producers better to consumers and to outlets. And, and that might provide then the incentive for making those adjustments. We have seen that in some, yeah, uh, uh, and this is also the European experience, in some what we call confidence, so agreements uh, industry-wide. Uh, in such a way that there is not a competition on, on food quality in itself and that the whole sector tries to improve the, uh, the quality uh, and the healthiness of, of its products. And you cannot do it just by one industry. Yeah, I think tied to that for me is um, almost a disturbing um, tendency 
to exclude private sector from conversations around the quality of food. Um, because if they are not around, then but they are the ones that are providing us the foods, how do we expect them to respond? Um, so there's, there's been almost an unhealthy mm-hmm. tendency to castigate the private sector, almost paint. You have We have these brushes that we paint everybody with, but which leads to an unhealthy disengagement, which does not necessarily help the kind of developments that should take place for better quality diets. Yeah, that is indeed, let's say, the reason why uh, the public sector and, and also research agencies can provide the kind of, uh, uh, of minimum basis that enables private sector to make their investment, not to improve their, their individual profit-making capacities, but uh, also to guarantee that in addition to their private goals, they are also satisfying public goals. And the public goal is, is in this case, uh, their contribution to a better uh, nutritional status of large parts of the populations, which will, will translate itself later on also in, 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 in substantially reduced health costs for the, for the society. Uh, so there is a good reason uh, uh, to get involved in, 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 in private sector decisions about quality and distributions of, of food, particularly the, uh, the more nutrient-dense foods, and to see whether uh, you can provide uh, through uh, public investment and through, through information uh, minimum guarantees that enable them to make step forwards. Just saying that they should do it is not sufficient, I think. Yeah, um, I'm particularly fascinated by the way in which Wageningen University seems to have managed to find some kind of balance between working with uh, the private sector um, as well as the public sector in some of the research that is done there. And I think there's really some lessons to be learned, at least for us on the African continent, where you find sometimes researchers really battling with, how can I engage with these guys? Am I going to be red-listed as my research is now not um, as useful as it could have been? So I think there's some lessons there to be learned. And, And, yeah, I hope somehow with the program that we are involved in now, that some of those lessons can actually be brought to bear. Thank you again to Ruard Rubin and Namukola Kovic for sharing their thoughts on food systems. To learn more about this topic, please visit the CGIAR Research Program on Agriculture for Nutrition and Health at a4nh.cgiar.org.